All right, guys. Today, we've got a great episode for you. We've got Dr. Stuart Tankersley from Montgomery coming in today to talk about all kinds of things COVID-related. But I want to say we are truly blessed. I believe it's a grace from God that we have these incredible doctors that are part of Concerned Doctors, which Dr. Tankersley is, and he helped found here in the state of Alabama, fighting this good fight on behalf of the people, pushing back against the tyranny and the nonsense, and they are standing up chock full of courage uh, for the people of Alabama. And so that makes a perfect partnership with 1819 News. Um, you guys definitely don't want to miss out. Stay tuned. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome everyone to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. And each week we're pursuing a free and flourishing Alabama with the 1819 News podcast. And in order to have a free and flourishing Alabama, there's a lot of different things we need. And it's our goal to cover all of those things so that we can equip the people of Alabama uh, with everything they need uh, to be in that pursuit with us as well. So we're doing that. Um, and I always want to point you guys and, and, and let you know, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, you really are missing out, really missing out. That's the best way to get all of the content that we put out every morning at 5.30 in your inbox, in your email inbox, you're getting all the news you need to know, all the opinions that matter, and all the podcasts that we produce delivered directly to you. Uh, you can scan the headlines and see what's going on, or you can click on the articles and go all the way into them, uh, but definitely sign up for that. And so uh, today I'm very, very excited, honored uh, to have my doctor, my actual physician, uh, coming in to talk about... Um, a cornucopia of things COVID related. Uh, here we are two years into all of it and, it and it, and it just keeps on coming. The hits keep on coming and you think we would be able to kind of pull out of this downward spiraling crash. I picture an airplane spinning headed towards the ground and all they got to do is pull up to get out of it and they just keep spinning harder and diving faster. So um, Dr. Tankersley, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Stuart Tankersley of Montgomery, we are both uh, Montgomery area people up here in Birmingham recording the podcast. Doc, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me and for what y'all do. I tell you, y'all have made a huge impact in just a year now. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to more and more blessings from y'all. Thank well, you. Thank you. All right. So um, whenever I introduce uh, Dr. Jordan Vaughn or Dr. Tankersley or anybody in that group, um, I say this and it, and it seems like I'm being bombastic or hyperbolic, but I really think you guys are heroes. You guys have um, put your careers uh, on the line. You put your livelihoods on the line. You've risked getting your medical license seized or taken, um, you know, by these institutions that are not too friendly to the information that you've been um, pushing. Um, I've seen you have personally, you and Dr. Brown uh, have saved my wife's life. You have saved my sister-in-law's life as well as numerous friends of mine. Um, I hear story after story after story after story about the concerned doctors and the lives that they've saved. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, and so I want to say thank you um, for, for risking your livelihood and, and having the courage to stand up to this darkness and, and, and put some sense into it. Well, I thank you for the, uh, for that. Uh, I wish it weren't, it weren't so bizarre a world that uh, that would be necessary, but uh, it is bizarre a world the last few years. Yeah. Well, um, I want to talk a little bit about concerned doctors. Uh, so we're going to talk about concerned doctors, talk a little bit about your background. Uh, we're going to talk about vaccine injuries. And then I really want to get into the specifics of how this is affecting women. I was at a, a presentation you did at Eastwood Presbyterian Church a couple of weeks ago in Montgomery. And some of the things that really just jumped out to me about the presentation you made was some of those st startling statistics as it pertained to prenatal women, uh, miscarriages, you know, everything to menstrual cycles. Sorry if the kids are listening, you got to explain what that is. Um, and then you also mentioned there was a Vanderbilt paper. I don't know anything about this. So he's going to tell us about that. I guess this just came out and it's got some, some information that we need to know. Um, and then we're talking about all these problems. And one of the things that drives me crazy is a bunch of problems with no solutions. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell me what you think the solution is in your three points. So Without further ado, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your background. How did you become a doctor? Where did you grow up? Your military yeah. experience? Sure. I uh, grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, and went to graduated from Auburn. And after that, uh, moved up to D.C. for a year. And during the Gulf War of 91, 
moved back and enlisted in the Army and uh, a couple of years later uh, went to medical school at UAB, uh, my alma mater, and uh, a wonderful institution, um, so I thought. And uh, then um, I was I went to OBGYN residency for a couple of years, and then my wife and I took a year off and did uh, missionary training up in uh, for Thailand uh, for a year, and then I came back to Montgomery and did uh, uh, residency in family medicine. After that, uh, I was deployed three times, and um, and uh, have interesting part of all of this is in 2010, I was the medical society for our county, Montgomery County. I was the president, and that was the year that Obamacare was imposed on us. And uh, boy, did I learn a lot with that. Uh, that uh, all of this has culminated in uh, the ability to see through a lot of the garbage uh, and lies, unfortunately. Uh, Another part uh, that I don't want to overlook is the fact that um, I was thrown in the deep end in 2020 in February. I was one of five colonels in the National Guard and that are doctors here in Alabama. And uh, as a result of that, um, that's what threw me in the deep end. A month after I was on that working group, the, um, I had an audience with the governor's doctor uh, not Colonel Tankersley, and explain in 45 minutes they were gracious enough to give me that time and explain we don't need to shut down the state because of the evidence at that point. And uh, unfortunately, they said, you're the only doctor in the state saying this, so we're going to shut it down. A few months later, they started calling back, can we revisit some of the things? And uh, led to, in October of 20, uh, I was her appointment on the vaccine working group for the state. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so on a Friday, I get the call, and the previous week, the CDC had put out a directive to all the states to come up with a vaccine working group, and our state health officer had put forth a list of 65 people, and I've been on working groups in the military, and if you have more than six or seven, it's really not a working group. Yeah. And um, uh, every one of the one—there were three clergy— on the out of the 65, and besides that, every other person was affiliated with the state in some capacity, uh, whether directly or indirectly, and uh, that that was startling. I got the invitation to be on the working group on a Monday, and with it was uh, from Scott Harris, who was the state health officer, um, and he was in charge. He's in charge of it, and uh, with it was a 75-page CDC playbook, as they call it. And uh, it was really odd because the playbook had no plan to engage the doctors. It was all engagement of the public health entities uh, and then the media and the clergy. Mm. Uh, You might notice that the doctors, private doctors, were not. And in fact, the doctors in our state, the first uh, information we received about the vaccine was a 30-minute infomercial from Pfizer a week before the vaccines rolled out. Mm. Nice. Uh, Yes. And... um, the data from that uh, from that time, even the original two months of trials, that's right, two months of trials, was very ominous. Uh, uh, it did not show that uh, what we thought it was, what uh, they swore to us it would show. Uh, they obviously swore to us that uh, it would prevent transmission, and you don't love your neighbor, of course, if you don't uh, get it, and uh, you can't transmit it. And, now we know that uh, that's both of those are not true. Uh, they've even admitted to that. And so uh, in December of 20, the vaccines rolled out. Um, and uh, backing up a minute, when I was in the Guard, I served in a very important capacity as an advisor to a two-star general. And in that capacity, uh, we were uh, charged with preparing for disasters in the on the continent. And... Uh, so what do I know as a family medicine doctor? Well, if I hadn't had that experience, maybe not much, but yeah. um, that afforded me an, a, a, a perspective that was clearly lacking and still is lacking uh, in so many ways. But uh, anyway, so in, uh, several things have happened. Uh, the founding of the group of doctors, Uni Smith of uh, Eagle Form, uh, just a wonderful lady, put four or five doctors together uh, two years ago, and um, we've been we started out multiple times a week uh, collaborating on the phone from around the state, and Dr. David Calderwood and Dr. Uh, David Williams and Dr. Michael Brown and others, 
And uh, then we grew. We've grown to over 100 providers in the state and uh, concerneddoctors.org. And uh, a little over a year ago, I became friends with uh, Peter McCullough, and that's led to a lot of interesting uh, opportunities. Um, and then in February, in March of this year, I was an expert witness in a federal hearing down in Tampa, Florida, uh, as uh, because of the abuses of the military. Uh, by the way, I retired from the military uh, a year ago. But uh, it's uh, been uh, 30 to 50 hours a week on top of my regular job every week since I jumped in the deep end. It's been all-encompassing. Yeah. And a little background on us. Um, so Dr. Tankersley has been my doctor since before COVID, and so God and his providence uh, put us together uh, even beforehand. And um, I remember going to Midtown Pizza Kitchen on a date with my wife, and uh, Dr. Tankersley and his wife walks in, and I get up to go talk to him at his table, and he says, you know, and I have no idea where he stands on this. We haven't really talked. COVID was just, you know, picking up, and vaccines were just kind of rolling out. And he says, uh, did you get the vaccine? And I said, no. He didn't, he didn't know that I was, you know, where my position was either. I'm like, no. And he says, good, don't. And we need to talk. And I said, okay. And so we ended up going to lunch at Chappie's, I think, the following week. And he began to tell me about this group that he was working with. And if I ended up having any symptoms, to immediately call him. Um, and literally the following week, my wife and I and my whole family both came down with COVID. Um, Dr. Tankersley treated me. I did his protocol. I was, you know, up in three or four days. I was going, um, you know, by day seven, I was really like I didn't even have it. It hit my wife a little bit harder, um, but she followed the protocol. She was fine. And, and then obviously went through our kids like they had a cold, right? It was right. nothing, nothing right. to them. But um, <clears throat> that's really where I um, became familiar with this group. And then Dr. Michael Brown, I was on a, a board call with him. And he called me and he says, hey, I've got this doctor's group. And I'm like, is any, any chance Dr. Tankersley's in this group? Because I'm hearing about this group. And he goes, yeah, he is. And I'm like, oh, great. I like this group already. So I I got on a couple of those calls just to kind of see. And it was right about at the same time 1819 was starting. Um, God was, you know, ramping up the stuff you guys were doing as he was ramping up the stuff we were doing. And I really do think, I mean, if you think about the amount of lives that have been saved just from this, the work you're doing, the information we've been able to get out to people, um, God like was putting this stuff together. When you look back on it, you can see that he was orchestrating this all. So right, it's pretty right. cool. Yeah, no doubt. Um, another thing about your background, I think plays into this a little bit is you are intimately, you know, familiar with the politics of the state from your time of being born and growing up here. Uh, but you were also on the ethics commission, correct? Correct. Yes. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Back from, uh, governor Bentley appointed me to that. And in 2013 through 18 was my five year term. Uh, I've been deployed three times and never had PTSD from it, but I might from that experience, but, uh, <laughs> It was a it was a mighty important and huge learning experience. Uh, it's very sad. Uh, the thing that I always came back to and encouraging people was, um, uh, you know, Jesus always um, confronted the scribes, Pharisees, Pharisees, scribes, and lawyers, the three people that yeah. uh, write, determine, and, and implement the rules to benefit themselves. Because of human nature, you got to be mindful of that if you yeah. take on those responsibilities and roles. And uh, I learned that that is the core problem because we have so many wonderful blessings and uh, in this state, whether they are natural or, more importantly, the people. But uh, unfortunately, the system, it seems, has been co-opted by people that uh, don't necessarily look out for the broader benefit of, uh, of others and the citizens. Yeah, man. And so, you know, you look back on the Apostle Paul and you see how God, you know, put him through all the things that he did to prepare him for what God was going to use him for. And you can, I know, certainly in my life with the things sure. that I've been through, he was preparing me for the work I'm doing now. And then, you know, you see some of those experiences for you, um, having that intricate knowledge of how the state works, how politics works, how corruption can, you know, fester and filter uh, into yeah. every, you know, pore of everything in the state. And you've, you've witnessed it. So, um, no, I think that's great. We'll talk. Um, I mean, we're, you know, we're pretty, pretty familiar. I know I'm familiar with concerned doctors, but um, you kind of teed it up a little bit. Talk about. So one of, one of the things I think is, is, is hugely problematic. You see it in education. You see it in medicine is you're not letting the professionals do the thing that they were taught and trained to do. Um, I think less so in education, but still it's the same thing. You have a bunch of bureaucracies handing down how this person that was taught and trained 
to do a certain thing and then you don't let that person do that thing and then you get horrible results. You, you see it in education, but I think it's more so with doctors. Doctors are the best and brightest, right? Every society, the best and brightest, they go to school for like 500 years and become doctors, right? And they go through all this training uh, and doctors are very analytical. Um, you know, they're very um, sharp. They figure things out. They look at data. They make decisions. They There's a certain thing that most of them have in common. And, um, and interestingly enough, let me see if I can tie this story into it. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a phenomenal preacher and theologian, the guy's just incredible. Um, but he was a, they, they called him the doctor because he was actually a physician. And he went uh, to this certain school that was, you know, um, the, the, it's the same school that Sherlock Holmes went to. Sherlock Holmes is a fake character, but he had him go to that school because that's the type of people that were expected to come out of that type of training were people who could figure things out and solve and, and fix. And that was where Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones went. And again, it's just that whole idea of what doctors do. And so they have that training, they have that experience, but their hands are tied. Their right. hands are tied right now. And so what it, what it what appears to me, what you guys did, and then I'll let, I'll let you explain it, but you guys got together and just said, look, we're going to put our hands on our patients. We're going to start tracking data. We're going to start looking at papers and evidence and everything else. And we're going to put together our own research and we're just going to do what we've been trained to do. And we're going to treat people the way that we think that we should. Um, and you've had tremendous success. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so, um, I think you mentioned a key word there, training. Uh, training, uh, I think most importantly, we should be training the people in medicine to learn how to process information and learn how to assess things and interact with an individual, with a human, not just follow the checklist. Um, you know, you're dealing with a human soul, you're dealing with a human. And so why would you want to limit yourself to just saying, okay, the checklist says this, this is what Mr. Jones gets or baby Smith gets, uh, and that is a disturbing reality. I think that we uh, that has played itself out in spades the last three years. What I am going to tell the people today is based on certitude of evidence. Um, and I missed a key step in our whole development of the concerned doctors. Then Dr. Jordan Vaughn, wonderful guy, came on board uh, a year and a half ago, and uh, really was an instrument was instrumental in. Uh, bringing us uh, to a different level. But we were looking at evidence. We were looking at, uh, I remember right when this kicked off, I talked to, a, through a family friend, a PhD student in the uh, vet school at Auburn. They actually, Auburn has a coronavirologist expert. But uh, they determined, based on the data from the 2002-2003 SARS-1 uh, experience, that hydroxychloroquine worked. And he said, we were surprised that it did, but it, it works, and I won't get into the details of it, but it does. And then I went online and I found Dr. Fauci, uh, Anthony Fauci, who uh, was going down a list of all the threats, on uh, major threats on the earth. And his quote was, uh, this was like in 2005, 2006 or something, I think. And it was based off of many papers that validated, uh, he said, we've got, we don't have to worry about SARS, we've, we have the cure chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. Oh, great. And so um, that was science. That was based on evidence. And uh, then we run into all these other things, and I've been promoting for 20 years probably, the need for saline nasal rinse. Uh, it's super easy. It's free. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that was not allowed uh, to be discussed. Everything was, uh, from the beginning, aimed for the cure, which was going to be the supposedly called vaccine. I will use the term in this discussion, vaccine, even though it never qualifi qualifies as, a, as one. But um, uh, anytime any solution came up, it was immediately fraudulently attacked and dismissed uh, by the medical industrial complex of the world in several ways. What was, what was the thing, and you don't got to say who said it, uh, if you don't want to out anybody, but you brought that to someone, the whole nasal rinse thing, and they said something to the effect of, hey, nobody's going to get rich on no salt or something like that. Or what did they, what was Yeah, that? when I got put on the working group, I called uh, up uh, to a professor and uh, to an infectious disease expert. And one of the first questions I had is, why are we not screaming about saline nasal rinse uh, from the rooftops? Uh, to which his quick response was, nobody makes money on salt water. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> yeah. And that's what we have clearly understood to be the game ever yeah. since. Yeah. I want to just, I want to pause. So like, you know, when you're reading the Psalms and it says, Selah, yeah. like this is one of those moments where we need to pause and think about what he just said. The fact that someone, we said, Hey, there's this like darn near free thing that can actually really prevent transmission at a high rate. Well, nobody's going to make any money on, on, on salt water. water. Right. And, uh, it's, a. Uh, it seems like, and I want to be clear about this, we've got to get, the, the public is ahead of the doctors on this as a yeah. group because doctors are continuously espousing, hey, look, you got to get the vaccine or Paxlovid or whatever. You got to go down the list that the uh, NIH and Tony Fauci uh, and former Collins, uh, Director Collins, what they are demanding, demanding and ordering and requiring and uh, it was very, very odd from the get-go that no dialogue was allowed. I don't care who you are, where you are. If you wanted to talk about anything other than the directors from up above uh, or down below, uh, that um, there was no, no, no time, no, and it still persists to this day, there's no way that these experts can be uh, wrong. And you're just, uh, you're not being scientific about it and all like this. And to which I respond, well, I, I never would claim to be the smartest doctor. But when I've treated four or 500 patients and none have died, and when concerned doctors back in the spring, I think we uh, accumulated 18,000 patients we had treated. Uh, and I think 13 had died. One, only one of them had come to us before day five. This is an eminently treaty, treatable disease. Unequivocally, this isn't my hope. Of course, it is my hope, but it's not just because I want it to be that way. It's not just because I pray for my patients. It's because the science is clear. Yeah, I am talking with certitude here. Yeah. The science is clear. And for doctors not to be able to understand, uh, not to have taken the responsibility of understanding the science of what's going on is uh, really a huge indictment of the medical industrial complex. And uh, it's very unfortunate. And there's all these institutions that, you know, we're kind of born into, baptized into, marinating our whole lives that there's certain, you know, institutions that you're just supposed to trust. And I, I view them as these invisible pillars that just hold up our society. And we just, we just forget that they're even there holding this whole thing up. Right. And what's happened is termites have gotten into every single one of these things. You know, people don't trust the FBI anymore. People, you know, law enforcement, you know, there's a whole lot of thin blue line support because like for like, you know, entry level, not entry level, but boots on the ground cops that people know that are putting their lives on the line for us. So there, there's still a lot of support there, but there's even starting to be distrust of law enforcement. There's, um, you know, distrust of the, the medical establishment, educational establishment. I mean, just like political, all, political establishment. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all these things that are supposed to be there that we're supposed to trust that allow a free and flourishing society all those pillars have been completely, you know, rotted out by termites is kind of how I look at it. And, and now no one blindly trusts these things anymore. And then you're like, well, wait, if I can't trust them, who can I trust? Right. And so it's caused quite a, quite a situation to, to put people in, especially because we've all grown up just blindly trusting them. And, and there's I not a worse we, feeling. I think, yeah. I think we missed a, a key one and that is the faith led yeah. uh, organizations. Amen. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it. With my wife and I, now when my wife is pregnant, she sees a different doctor, and I and I like the doctor she goes to see as well. Um, she goes to see a, a anyway, I'm not going to get into all that, but um, I know I can pick up the phone and get the answers I need for my health because I have you as a doctor. You only have so much bandwidth. You know, the situation with my children, we don't, we don't have a, a great pediatric solution. And, you know, um, the, the pediatrician we see, <laughs> this is a whole other story we're going to go into at another time, but they're being pressured by insurance to do certain things a certain way that they may not even believe in, but they're half subject to it because revenue and all this other stuff. And it's like, I don't trust you with my kids that that's your thought process. These are my kids. Right. And so it's like, I, I, who do you trust? And this is, you're talking about life and, and health and your children. And, and it's like, and I don't even, I, it's just a weird place to be. Right. And I think it uh, revolves around a word that I, I mentioned earlier that uh, is, kind of verboten today, and that is, unless you're in the people that uh, are directing all of this, certitude. Yeah. I say certitude with the reality that uh, science can change. Uh, 
But the evidence to date is clear. America for the last two years has been in the top, unfortunately, the top 10% in case fatality rate in the world out of 185 countries. Once again, it's their data, Johns Hopkins data. But we remain in the top 10% in case fatality rate. That is not success. When you say case fatality, that's like per 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 recorded positive test of COVID. How many deaths per recorded positive test? Is that how right. you say that? That'd be a good way of framing okay. up. Cool. <clears throat> I always got to, because I'll get going and I forget. I want to make sure everyone that's listening sure. understands what we're saying. So, But we've failed. Yeah. We have failed in so many areas. It's undeniable. I say that with certitude. Yeah. Um, there is no arguing that when they brought the vaccines out, supposedly, it uh, you will not get infected. You will not share it with other people. That was a lie. Even uh, the scarf lady, uh, Deborah Burks, admitted to that. Yeah, we knew uh, that it wasn't going to be the case. Right, right. Why were you telling her? Right. And you watched it, and it's like, you know, you, if, you know, the, the president himself uh, gets up there, if you get this vaccine, you will not get COVID. Well, like within two days, everyone that was vaccinated, you know, all these people got COVID, and he's like, okay, well, you will not spread COVID. <laughs> okay. Well, you won't go to the hospital. Okay. Okay, well, you might go to the hospital, but you're not going to die. Okay, and then there was another one. When someone died, they literally put out a story. I wish I could remember which publication it was, but they were like, well, it would have been way a way worse death if he didn't get vaccinated. Yeah. He would have died way harder if right. he wouldn't have been vaccinated. That death would have been awful had he not been vaccinated. So thank God he got vaccinated so his death wasn't as bad. And it's yeah, like, the deceptions lies. The, the obvious uh, absurdities of the claims from the start have been wrong. Yeah, and uh, they said it was certitude, and uh, they just say, "Well, the science evolved." <clears throat> well, how did I get it right? Yeah, and y'all didn't see it, even though I said it based on the evidence. Yeah, you know, uh, they just refuse to accept uh, the evidence because there's something going on that prevents them from accepting it. And it's, it's spiritual blindness, and we'll get to that. And you're the one that opened my eyes to the fact that that was what the problem was. Let's before we move on. We want to talk certitude and evidence. You you breezed through it really quickly. Let's go back and, and zero in on the data. How many patients did you see? How many died? How many hospitalized? Oh, I, I've seen four or 500, no deaths, thank the Lord. Um, treated very, the oldest I've treated, I think, is 92. Um, oldest age person with age being a significant comorbidity. Um, and... Uh, I've had, I think, two hospitalizations in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. And, the you know, it's just not my experience. It's people that treat uh, people based on the evidence, like uh, Dr. Vaughn and all these other doctors with concerned doctors. We're having success because we're following the evidence. Yeah. And so know. just to bring that home, you treated four to 500 people who were COVID positive. They had covid you treated them, and and I let you go into your treatment, or if you don't want to, that's fine. But I mean, it's basically made up of, you know, the vitamin regimen, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, uh, ivermectin, maybe anticoagulants. Is that part of it? Sure is. Yeah. Uh, there are three phases to COVID, and uh, people are probably tired of this, but the first phase is the infectivity phase. It lasts eight or nine days, and then you get to the hyper-inflammatory phase as well as the uh, hypercoagulable, the clotting phase. And so you put them on that, put patients on aspirin early, and they should take that for several weeks. And um, uh, once again, it's because of the evidence shows this works. I also use saline nasal rinse with some provodone iodine, betadine, uh, and uh, mouthwash, uh, gargling with that four times a day. It's phenomenal how effective these things yeah. are. And the evidence, once again, no, they never want to hear our evidence. Of course, we're force-fed theirs, but yeah. they never want to hear ours. And I, I must pause and say, none of these people that are on the other side are my enemy. Yeah, I feel bad for them. I, I'm so saddened that uh, they're allowing our profession uh, to uh, go down the rabbit hole we've been in. Yeah. So using that treatment, 400 patients, four to 500 patients, no deaths, very few handful of hospitalizations. And you just look at that and then you look at the, the statistics across the board on the other way that it's being treated. Which is do nothing. Which is do initially. nothing. Initially. I mean, literally do nothing. Yeah. And if you get, if you get blue, come to the hospital and we'll put you on, uh, um, the, uh, 
the ventilator initially and uh, remdesivir, uh, which is just the history of remdesivir is a ca- catastrophic failure. Yeah. And yet uh, 20%, according to Dr. McCullough a month ago, he said 20% of hospitals in the country are still using it. They're incentivized to use it. They yeah. get make massive amounts of money if they use the protocol. Wow. Right. Very, very unfortunate. Rim death severe, as I've heard it said. Run death is near you. <laughs> My encouragement, our encouragement is uh, to the patients, to the general public, please encourage your doctors to look at the evidence because unfortunately it seems to us that the patients, the, the general public knows more about what's going on with this disease process than the physicians, which three years into it now is a bizarre statement. But the evidence is clear, whether you go to concerndoctors.org or flccc.net or all of these other wonderful substacks, to the general public or to the doctors, um, there's a billionaire guy named uh, Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch uh, took the vaccine and after taking it, realized how much, how many people around him were getting injured by it. And so this billionaire said, wait a minute. So he put everything in his business on hold and dove in on the treatments for ivermectin, I mean, for uh, SARS-2 and COVID. And uh, since in the last uh, two years, he's come up with uh, $1 million offers for 16 different uh, issues. In other words, if any expert in the world will debate on any of these uh, topics, he will pay them $1 million per topic to debate, not to win the debate, just to debate. And the people in uh, the experts in the world won't take him up on it. It is a huge, huge. Uh, yeah. That to me is we're very getting millions over here without debating. Why would I go over there and debate for a million? Well, I'm getting, <laughs> anyway, but um, uh, so um, I remember one of the what I was going to say now is um, when so when you had sent me to a certain um, I don't know, it's not called a clinic. What do they call like doc in the box? But there's a word for yeah, them. urgent care or an urgent care that was you know was doing the. Um, Oh, the antibody infusions. Yes. The antibody infusions. They didn't have any openings that day. And so I ended up just going to a normal, you know, one or whatever. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm already here. (laughs) And uh, I I still got all my prescriptions and everything from you, but I I went in there and it was interesting. I just wanted to see if I was COVID positive or not. And you're like, well, I'm telling you, you are based off the symptoms. And I'm like, well, I just want to see the test results. And you probably were like, but anyway, so I did. And I, and I tested positive and the, and the doctor came in and he's like, uh, we're going to give you some antibiotics and some cough syrup. <laughs> that's how they were. And I was like, that's what you're giving me. And he goes, well, we can give you a steroid shot if you want, but I think we're out of steroids. So I don't, you'll have to come back. And I'm just Good. like, Oh my God. Because you do not treat this yeah. early in the first six or seven days. You do not yeah. give steroids for it. Yeah. So, um, but that's the way they were treating it. You come in, you take the test. You know, here's here's some uh, some some antibiotics and uh, and some cough syrup. Right. Uh, if you feel like you're going to die, go get put on a vent. Right. So yeah. crazy. So you know, you called me about three months ago and said, "Hey, I'm sounding the alarm." And when I say that I'm sounding the alarm, I'm serious. I've never done this except one time in my career, and you kind of told me a story about that. Um, this this the vaccine injuries are going to be rampant. They're coming and they're coming and and it's going to be a very hard fall and winter. And of course, when you call me, I'm like, he, he's obviously serious. And what we've been seeing, um, I've been seeing young, healthy, 30, 40 year old people um, dropping like flies, either dying, um, having heart issues, having strokes, having um, nerve, you know, ner- you know, neuropathy issues and, and, and everything else. And it's like, this wasn't happening before. Now it's happening. So Talk, talk a little bit about uh, what's going on and what you see. So right at a year ago, we were uh, we were afforded the opportunity to speak to Senator Tuberville. Our group was, and since I've been, I've done several presentations to the military, I was the kind of the point guy. And uh, I started out with, sir, you've used uh, this phrase probably before in the locker room that a crisis doesn't develop character as much as reveal it. What would you, how would you uh, phrase the character of America through COVID. And without pause, he said, fearful. I said, amen, I agree with that. And I said, how would you rate the response? How would you grade the response to that? And he said, four out of 10. Uh, The 
the response to the COVID has just been horrific. It's been so damaging and deadly. And uh, I said, well, I was thinking of a letter grade. I said, well, good. Uh, I agree. It's an F. And uh, as a result of that, he said, well, I tell you what, in three or four weeks, uh, Fauci and the others are going to be coming before the committee, and he's on the health committee in the Senate. And uh, I want you all to write my questions for me. And I was like, well, yes, sir, here they are. Because when you go to your commander, you don't say, you've got a problem, deal with it. You hear your solution. And so he said, thank you. And we ended up talking to him for a couple of hours uh, subsequent to that visit. And he made the appropriate point in that presentation uh, less than a year ago to Fauci and Walensky, who is the director of the CDC, And he said, uh, I find it odd that we've had more people die this year in 21 than we had the first 10 months of this year than we had in the last 10 months of last year from COVID. And, of course, they scramble with some excuse. And the large, I would say, uh, Dr. McCullough and his group of 50 people who published the first uh, algorithm for treatment, outpatient treatment, estimate it's over 90% of people in the world who have died from COVID should now have died from it uh, because of the treatments available. And it's multi-pronged treatments. But the point is, they uh, they didn't really, they obfuscated and burned up his time. But the whole point of it is, the evidence is clear that we have been, uh, we have approached this completely the opposite the way we should have approached it, yeah. unscientific. It's all been, political science has taken over for science, uh, clearly. Uh, and uh, that is a travesty. And so uh, the um, – I'm sorry, what was your exact question about that? Um, I was just really kind of just talking about, you know, and so I think you're, you're, you're summing it up. I think you're hitting all the points. Yeah. Um, it was – I mean, I think my point was this was this is what they were doing to treat and how ridiculous is it. And, and I think you were just kind of talking about what um, Tuberville's response was and the questions that were asked. So um, – Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, no. It, uh, it's good. So, vac- So we were we were kind of going into um, just the effects of the vaccines. What what you've been oh, seeing yeah. um, specifically, right? Um, th- I think a, a good place to go is let's talk about the spike protein. Amen. That's where it's got to start. Yeah. So uh, the science behind this, if if the listeners haven't, if the viewers haven't li- heard this, this is the crux of the whole issue. Yeah. This one thing, the virus is contained of over two dozen proteins. The only one that we've known for over 10 years of all two dozen plus proteins that make up the SARS-2 virus, there is only one that is toxic by itself to the human body, the spike protein. Yeah. So why in the world would you use any, in my view, and based on the evidence, why would you use any vaccine that introduces into the body a toxin? Yeah. That's insane. Not only that, but the this platform that is utilized has two components to it. The lipid nanoparticle is the uh, fatty envelope, and there are a gazillion of those things and inside of those, and that allows the messenger RNA to get into the cells. And then the messenger RNA. And the messenger RNA is the blueprint directions to the cell to make a protein. That's what happens yeah. gazillion times every day in every cell almost. And so uh, what that does, what we've now done is we've introduced into the body directions for the body to make a known toxin. That's why we have historic, the average between when the VAER system, the vaccine advent, adverse event reporting system came into existence in 1990 through 2020. In that 30 years, the average was 157 reported deaths for all of the vaccines, over 70 vaccines on the schedules that are given to people. Is that a year? Is that total? A year, 157 a year, year, 4,500, I think something around 4,500 total. And I'm going to get to a very important point on that. And that is, uh, but since then, their data, we have 35,000 deaths. Their data, very underreported uh, from the vaccines and one, over one and a half million uh, injuries from the vaccine. And I mentioned the federal hearing I was in back in March. And this is, once again, their data. 
in February uh, without knowing that there would be a data dump. Back in January, the FDA and Pfizer asked a federal judge to give them to 2075 to release the data. Now, once again, in the previous year, they had done it in two months. He said, no, I don't think so. I'll give you eight months. And the first data dump he gave them was March the 1st. So on March the 1st, there were over 11,000 documents. And one of them was a 38-page document, but confidential on every page between Pfizer and uh, FDA. There have, in the first 10 weeks of the vaccine through the end of February, there had been 42,000 recorded uh, patient injuries with over 1,290, with 1,291 types of injuries, including 1,400 deaths. This is in the first 10 weeks of the vaccine being distributed. They, of course, say it's completely safe, completely effective, right? This, that's been their moniker, and it is neither. It's very clear that is not true. Yeah. And so um, part of their data was, of the military, it was a military uh, case, it was in federal court, but it was about the DOD refusing religious exemptions. Their data showed that in the previous 23 months, through the end of 21, of the 2.4 million servicemen, 83 deaths from COVID. Within the first several months of the vaccine, how many died within 48 hours of the vaccine? 127. And that wasn't 2.4 million that got it. So it's clear that the evidence is abundant, the dangers of these uh, vaccines. Uh, there have been more and more and more evidence of that. And to your point that I remembered where you were asking uh, earlier, uh, the, you were asking me about hold the, hold the presses. Yeah. This has got to end. We've got to get the message out. So three months ago, Dr. Uh, Geert Vandenbosch, uh, a vaccinologist out of Germany, shared the evidence. Now it is confirmed that these vaccines weaken the immune system, not just to future SARS uh, infections, but to many more viral infections and bacterial infections. And that's exactly what we have uh, witnessed in the last several months. And not only that, part of the testimony that I gave was I mentioned the lipid nanoparticles, the things that are um, that are packaged the messenger RNA in order for it to get into the cells. The lipid nanoparticle is very pro-inflammatory, causes a lot of bad inflammation, and part of that inflammation downregulates genes that the good Lord's given us to fight cancer, if you will, and it downregulates those genes. And part of the testimony in the uh, federal court was we've seen an, a, there were over 31 significant types of illnesses, injuries, and cancers that developed uh, that saw extraordinary increases in the first six months of the vaccine uh, distribution in the military. I just One of them was a 600% rise in testicular cancers in males, mm. and uh, that's men. Uh, and so um, <laughs> the reality is that we have done so much damage by introducing into our bodies this very inflammatory thing that causes a lot of angry responses in our bodies, but also the messenger RNA, the spike protein that's produced in significantly higher volumes than what you or I would experience when we've been sick from uh, SARS-2 when we had COVID. So now we're seeing, and we can expect to see for years, uh, we don't know what exactly, obviously, but uh, we can expect because of the science the evidence that we had before this, because these lipid nanoparticles have been studied for well over 10 years, uh, that the dangers are clear and they are coming home. The chicks are coming home to roost mm. in a very sad and tragic way. Wow. So I want you to go back and, and repeat something. And I think it's one of those moments where we need to like go like, did you hear that? So something in the vaccine, it, it was it the messenger RNA. I forget exactly how you said how it worked, but I remember the, the, the point of it is, is that something in the vaccine is telling our bodies to create a create spike protein at a higher level? Yeah, right? and and so it's telling your body to produce this thing that's bad for it, which is a pathogen or it's right. toxic. Toxic. Yeah, and and so we're we're that's in, the key. Yeah, and they cannot get around it because it the evidence is clear. And uh, I was going to mention uh, in this study to the once again inviting the general listeners to engage their doctors, pray for their doctors, to engage the science. 
a, an important study came out of Vanderbilt, believe it or not, yesterday. Uh, it might have been the day before, but uh, it showed. They looked at uh, just a half dozen, I think, seven or eight patients in each group. What happens in the heart of those who died from COVID? What happened to those who died from the vaccine? Exact same pathophysiology, the exact same disease mechanisms. In other words, the spike protein is the danger. And for doctors that have been ignorant and unwilling to engage in the reality of what's going on, this is a clarion call. They cannot escape this. Now, we've known this for, like Dr. Yeadon explained, for well over 10 years, and we've been seeing the ramifications of it. But the t- spike protein is the toxin. It is the uh, it is the payload that's really injuring the the, the cells in the and the person. Mm. Is that what you wanted to go to, into on the Vanderbilt study? Yeah, is that's right. Okay. Right, that's it. So let's talk. Um, and can you add that? Uh, can I give you the link to that to add to the? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, send it to Ashley. You remember sure. her saying, "Yep." Yeah. She great. makes everything happen. You guys need to know that Ashley makes everything happen. Mm. She's the wizard behind the scenes. So pregnancy, miscarriages, and, and other oh, yeah. you know, reproductive things, um, that was the thing that really jumped out to me watching your presentation uh, at Eastwood, the COVID truce with Eagle Forum. You know, I have seven kids, and I've, I have a wife that I care a lot about, right? So when I started hearing those things, now she's not vaccinated. Um, but um, it just, it, it you know, it scares me because I, I – from just thinking about women that are pregnant, women that are going through these things. And and so talk about some of that data and some of those statistics. Right. Very important. So the large majority of, the large majority of doctors uh, have never published anything in scientific journals. That's just, we go out and work. But I was invited with Dr. McCullough and Dr. Jim Thorpe, who is a, a specialist. He sees 8,500 patients a year. And he is a specialist in complicated pregnancies. And he's done over 200 papers, and he says this is his most important one. And we simply compared, it took a lot of uh, statistical work and research, but it compared the dangers of the uh, uh, COVID vaccine versus the flu vaccine. And there have been over 66 uh, million doses of it, uh, billion doses of it given since 1998. It was approved in 98 for that. So through not, from 98 uh, through June of this year, we looked at the VAERS system, and we validated the VAERS system data with over 30 different systems around the world for following vaccine injuries. Every one of the 18, uh, no correction, 16 metrics we looked at, it was looking at all of the bad things that happened during pregnancy, and one that looked at the adverse events in menstrual changes in, in women, or postmenopausal women. And with that, you had uh, a 12 1200 a 1200 fold not 1200 percent 1200 fold increased risk of adverse events compla- comparing the flu vaccine to the uh, menstrual irregularities 12,000 no a 1200 fold higher risk what that tells you is clearly the the ovaries are getting kicked yeah and the reproductive system is getting kicked. And then we looked at uh, these other 15 metrics and the fetal demise and the deaths. And this is, some of it came from, the, all of it came from their data. But one of the papers in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, showed that there was an 84% increase in miscarriages in women who get the uh, vaccine before uh, 20 weeks. Because uh, a miscarriage is before 20 weeks and a stillbirth is after 20 weeks of pregnancy, half point, halfway point. And so the evidence was clear these things, and we and OBGYNs who I know say they see on a practical experience on a, on a rubber meets the road kind of a thing. They see the uh, the the impacts. They can't deny them. And when you look at the data between twenty and twenty one, it's true. There is a dramatic difference between just the virus versus the vaccine being introduced at the beginning of, or the end of twenty. And so it's undeniable the impact on the reproductive health of our uh, of our ladies and women. That's you know XX, not yeah. XY. Uh, there's only yeah, two. Clarified. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's clear that the uh, once again, not my speculation. We had uh, a statistician and uh, a lady who is the head legal counsel for um, Children's Health Defense, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s organization. Um, 
she was on the paper with us. But the evidence is clear. We've got to do what uh, the UK did a month ago, and that is not allow any vaccines in the women that are pregnant or breastfeeding because of the dangers to the lady and to the uh, baby. Yeah. And before we go into your solution, I want to do something. Um, so after seeing, you know, all this evidence and all these vaccines and um, it's been two or three years that we've been dealing with this stuff and it's hard to really track and trace everything that's been going on. And, you know, to some degree, you know, the first two weeks to maybe two months, I think watching people's responses some people responded pretty crazily, you know, every, we didn't really know, you know, we were watching all these videos of people in these, you know, hazmat suits in China when it first came over and everybody thought, well, hazmat suits, we better go get a bunch of toilet paper, I guess was the response. I'm not <laughs> sure what happened there. But, you know, toilet paper wasn't sure. Well, if they're told they better go lock themselves yeah. in their homes, I guess they're stocking up yeah. for that. Yeah. And so just weird seeing the whole thing. But what, what I found that was really interesting, and um, I'm going to have uh, Adrian uh, will run the clip when it's uh, when it comes out. So but it was um, it was um, it was our governor. And, you know, she basically demonized anyone who just knew in their gut or looked at the data and just made a, a decision for their own health and their own welfare and their own well-being, um, you know, she demonized them. And so let's run that clip. The new cases in COVID are because of unvaccinated folks. Almost 100% of the new hospitalizations are with unvaccinated folks. And the deaths are certainly occurring with unvaccinated folks. These folks are choosing a horrible lifestyle of self-inflicted pain. Besides, you know, this emotional plea you just gave us, what is it going to take to get people to get shots in arms? I don't know. You tell me. Folks supposed to have common sense. And, but it's time for, to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us down. But as a leader of the state, don't you think it's your responsibility to try and help get this situation under control? I've done all I know how to do. I can encourage you to do something, but I can't make you take care of yourself. The evidence is clear. That is a, um, she bought into a lie. Um, and it is our fault. It is my profession and really, I think, the spiritual leader's fault that we have, we have, uh, dove into fear as deep as we've ever considered. Uh, I really worry about, you know, we sing the national anthem, the home of the brave. Uh, I'm very leary of that statement now. It Look at Alabama, seem like we, we dare are. defend our rights. Yeah, right. Do we? <laughs> Maybe yeah, the not. The governor is telling us that we're uh, to be blamed for all, the, all this stuff that's going on because we won't get vaccinated, but and, we're defending our rights. And, and like your uh, unfiltered talk to that wonderful pastor yesterday, uh, I was listening to it. That's a wonderful um, uh, piece. But uh, and we told we're told not to go to church. Okay, you got to bind the fear, not faith, and uh, you you're not going to go to church. And for months and months at a time, clearly most pastors, priests, and rabbis bought into the lie. Yep. What do they do with that now? I mean, hopefully repent. Yeah, that's you know? the answer. And and you know, we we were cautious. I think there was a couple of weeks that we didn't meet. Then we met online, and then we met outside, and then we just started meeting again, no mask and everything. And again, right. my pastor is awesome. Um, he handled that so well. Um, you know, we're just super grateful. I've got a great doctor. I've got a great pastor. I'm in good shape, and that's just in God's providence how that all happened. But um, yeah, and and I think that that is that's kind of the key is like look back on mistakes we've made admit that they're mistakes, right? And I think this will kind of tee you up for, for the solution. So you've got three points that you always share. I'm going to let you share those on, you know, we've, we've heard the problem. What's the solution? Yeah, I think that last point is the ultimate solution, where right. the preachers, priests, and rabbis teach us what repentance is and then demonstrate it to us. And I've asked this a thousand times, um, and that is, uh, when was the last time somebody in America repented since uh, maybe in the last 50 years, Chuck Colson? And I can't get anybody to answer that. Uh, I think I have two or three examples. But other than that, uh, we really need to get back to the basics. After all, repentance is the first commandment given to us in the New Testament, Matthew 3. And so uh, I think that's ultimately the answer. But the other three practical answers are, um, and that, that is practical, but the other three practical answers are, number one, the doctors have to 
uh, in a way, repent. They have to look at the evidence, the science. Um, it's unequivocal. The spike protein is the toxin. It is doing this to us. There are ways to neutralize the spike protein and the injuries that it causes and the inflammation that it causes. Uh, so that's our invitation. And on our website, we have a, a group of uh, a list of questions you can ask your doctor. And um, I think those would be very helpful. I would encourage you to pray about them, give them to the doctor and say, please, uh, I've been praying for you. Please read these and discern, make discerning uh, uh, decisions off of these because they're, it's undeniable. The evidence is clear. Uh, so engaging the doctors uh, to do their job, to back away from the uh, fear. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine three, 30, my I'm a fourth generation physician. I could never have imagined my dad or forefathers running from a threat like this. Yeah. But that's clearly what we have done. Yeah. It's unconscionable to me, but um, I don't think that's just my military training. It's just common sense. Um, and so uh, get the doctors engaged. Use this, maybe consider using this questionnaire on our website to, to read over and uh, it'd probably be too confrontational to go in there, point your finger yeah. at them, because we want them engaged. We don't want to make them angry and uh, yeah. antagonize them to dig deeper. They need to get out of the hole they're in. Uh, secondly, we've got to outlaw these vaccines, not just for children, not just pregnant women. We've got to outlaw these horrible, horrible, disastrous uh, injections. Uh, and number three, we need to make things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine Ivermectin has over 20 mechanisms of action against this virus, the inflammation, and the clotting that it causes. And uh, by the way, anybody that received uh, one of these shots and was injured, by law, uh, whoever gave it to them is required to insert that into the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Please tell your doctor or the pharmacy or the hospital that gave you these or the county health office, Please go, you're required by law, put this into the system because the data right now is, uh, is very underreported. There now, uh, Dr. Ker uh, Steve Kirsch came out with an article. He believes there are over 55 million Americans who have been injured by the vaccines or killed. Yeah. And uh, so uh, get that data in there. Uh, and um, so get those items available uh, to the public and just get the doctors engaged in the fight. Amen. Away from fear, engage in faith, engage in science, and we'll we'll beat this. Man, yeah, and then like you said, repentance, and then the like, why why are we not doing those three simple steps? And it's because you know there's a certain level of pride, and and I think spiritual blindness, um, and people can't just say, hey, you know what, we were wrong, we really botched this. Please forgive us. Right. right? It's, it seems to be a tough thing to do. The last thing I'm going to talk about real quick um, before we close. It, it really came up when you started talking about doctors, pastors, um, I would put in fathers, um, I mean, every, everything. And so it's this concept of oaths, right? This, an oath. Responsibility. So yes. everyone who takes an oath, and so we'll just go to a real simple oath, is you're married. Okay, You make an oath to God and to your wife that you're going to be faithful. You making the oath doesn't make you faithful. You're faithful when the hot chick comes along and gives you the eyes like Proverbs says is going to happen. And, and the wise father in Proverbs says, don't do it. Right. Right. And you're faithful when the challenge comes. Right. And then you re, you write, and that's where faithfulness is. So you're making the oath to God and to this other person that I'm going to be faithful. Well, when the challenge comes is when the faithfulness is required. It's not when you, it doesn't take anything to make the oath. Right. But keeping the oath, right. And no, I'm not an oath keeper is right. That, that's not what I'm saying. But it's a concept that we've forgotten. And so um, pastors make an oath, right? When when they're ordained, there's an oath that they make. They have a, a covenant jurisdiction that God gives them in his word of what they're supposed to be doing. And when things get tough and they're, they turn into hirelings rather than the true shepherds uh, and they behave the way that they behave these last two or three years, God is showing you that those aren't oath keepers. Those are oath breakers. Those are covenant breakers. Mm. They're not covenant keepers, yeah. right? And so they're not worthy. They're hirelings. As soon as the wolf comes, they flee. And that's not to say that if, if you know, maybe early on your pastor had you in a mask or whatever, it's like, I mean, that baffles my mind, but I'm sure it happened. 
Um, and they said, you know what, this is wrong. We're not going to do this anymore. Well, praise God, right? I, that, so I'm not talking about the, the one that repented because we're all faulty. We're all going to make mistakes. And so when you go, uh, maybe you were, you know, confused, maybe you were, you know, uh, deceived, but you repented and then restored. That's not what I'm talking about. The ones that are continuing to dig their heels in and double down on the fact, well, we did it. We thought that that was what was best and all this other stuff. It's like, man, if you can't admit you were wrong, that's yeah. a problem. And so, you know, fathers, when, when you, um, you know, when you dedicate your children, baptize your children, whatever relig- you know, whatever denomination within the Christian faith, but when you get married, you know, you're, you're making an oath when you get married, a father walks his daughter down the aisle and hands off that responsibility of protecting, providing, uh, and purifying his daughter, it leaves that father and is now going to that man, and he's making an oath that he's going to do those things. And then when they have children, he makes an oath that he's going to raise those children. We have a bunch of fathers who aren't doing that, right. and they, they've, they've broken their oath. They've broken their covenant. They're not covenant keepers. Right. Um, you know, you see the the Department of Justice stuff we're seeing in the FBI. These are people who who made an oath to uphold the Constitution and everything else. They're, they're, they're oath breakers. They're covenant breakers. They're not covenant keepers, right? And so you see that, and then you get down into doctors. Doctors make an, they have an oath. That's the Hippocratic Oath. And when you became a doctor, you swore that you were going to operate for the good of your patients and the health and well-being of your patients, and you would never do anything that would bring them harm. Right. And unfortunately, we have abdicated our responsibilities to public health, and public health is now the elephant in the room between me and the patient. Yeah. Uh, the public health has no business in an exam room with me and an individual patient. Yeah. Uh, they do not get a say. They can advise me or the patient, but we have the relationship. We yeah. have a sacrosanct relationship. And for the government to think, oh, no, we are in charge of that relationship like they do with married or unmarried people or whatever, it's very, very disturbing. And um, I think that uh, the recent book by uh, Eric Metaxas, A Letter to the uh, American Church. Uh, yeah, Letter to the American Church. Eric Metaxas, we're reading, we're reading it, uh, it uh, this week to my family at, at uh, dinner. Uh, it's clear the church has failed. And uh, what we've got to do is start repenting of that and engaging. And I'm very, as a believer and follower of Jesus, I am the most optimistic person there can be on the earth, or I should be. And so I am, uh, while we've painted ourselves into a corner, so to speak, uh, in this uh, dialogue today, uh, you and I are both very hopeful, ultimately, of of success because we know who wins. And um, that's uh, the security we should all have. Praise God. Well, Doc, thank you so much for coming in. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for your courage, your bravery, your faithfulness, um, all the work you've done. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, just congratulations on well-deserved success the past year. Thank you. All right, guys, uh, as you go, hopefully if you go on our website when this runs, you will see a place where it asks for support. We're asking you guys to join the 1819 Club membership for $18.19 a month. Uh, there's other groups, I think $10.99 and $50.99. Um, go on there. We're going to need your guys' financial support to keep this thing going. Um, we are ultimately a media outlet that is for the people, uh, and that's the support we need is from the people. So, Well, I'll tell you, if I could put yeah, a plug please. into y'all, uh, there are a lot of forces in Montgomery that don't want y'all to succeed. Amen. Yeah, and we, we've heard rumblings of that. And so... There's the, the the only endorsement you guys need to hear that we're doing what we said we were going to do uh, is that the the status quo people, the people that aren't getting anything done, the people that are fighting back against anything conservative happening in this state, they hate us. They don't want us to be here, and we're standing in the way uh, of of their plans and what they're trying to do to this state and not not to allow it to be a free and flourishing Alabama that the people want. So that's that's um, that's what we're doing. That's why we're here. Um, and one last thing I yeah. forgot to mention, uh, Jordan Peterson, Jordan, Jordan Vaughn and I yeah. are uh, co-presidents of, of Concerned Doctors, and Dr. Peter McCullough invited us in, invited us in March to be host with him on America Out Loud uh, yes. Pulse. And uh, we were told by the producer a couple of months ago that when the top twenty, top five percent of uh, listener uh, viewer or listenership in the country for health. And uh, with that, over 20,000 listeners a week. And we'd invite you to come not just listen to us, but Dr. McCullough and the other hosts on his uh, podcast, I think, America Out Loud Pulse. 
America Out Loud Pulse. We're going to put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Uh, ConcernedDoctors.org. That's it. Uh, is also going to be, uh, hopefully, if I do this right, if it happens and if it doesn't happen, it was my fault, right. not Ashley's. That's we'll, right. Uh, absolve her of any uh, any wrongdoing. Um, but that should be in the show notes. Um, go there, listen to the podcast. Uh, the fact that we have doctors that are working side by side with Dr. Peter McCullough right here in Alabama uh, that are leading this charge against the COVID insanity uh, is a grace of God, I believe, uh, to have that and to have that courage here in the state. Uh, and the work they're doing reflects the people of the state uh, who are courageous, God-fearing, hardworking people that that make the country run. So uh, last thing, if you guys have questions, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner, email the podcast at 1819news.com. The, T-H-E, podcast. You guys can spell it. The podcast at 1819news.com. Email any questions, thoughts, comments that you guys have. And once every month or a couple of months or whatever, we'll come on and we'll just... Um, you know, answer questions. Um, maybe I'll do it myself. Maybe I'll bring Craig or Allison or Amy Beth or somebody on here. Uh, and we'll just answer questions. So the podcast at 1819news.com. And as always, guys, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. <laughs>